And that jarring cacophony tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast. It's still November. We're still doing a podcast today. And this is our 28th episode this month, which is quite incredible because that's almost like 20% of our previous total done in one month. I'm Kenny Smith, and I'm joined by my three podcast pals, my amigos, my buddies, my co-conspirators, three absolutely lovely, warm, charming human beings who I always enjoy spending time with. I'm talking about David Steele. Hello. Hello. I'm, I'm counting listeners, trying to work out just how many different podcast episodes I've been on in November between this one and my other two couple of podcast gigs. And literally, you could, if you were so inclined, listen to me or a different podcast every single day. That's shocking, isn't it? I What have I become? I hate me. myself. <laughs> I hate myself. Don't. But be. yeah, you've been appearing on one podcast every day this month. I'm appearing on fucking three Anyway, right. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Also with us, it's Stevie Day. Hooray! Oh, thank you very much for that round of applause. Uh, hello, everybody. Nice to be back. Nice to to see everybody and chat. And of course, it's the one, the only, the man with two alphabets after his name, Dr. John Bolin. Oh yeah, great, great. That was a nauseating introduction, by the way, Kenny. I don't know. I don't know what you're after. With all this. <laughs> sleazy chat about how warm and sexy we are you're just turning into Stephen Moffat with this kind of chat Mm -hmm. can't help it, is the Renfrewshire massive (laughs) I was in in Paisley on Thursday I spent Mm. more time in Paisley this year and last year than I've done in like 20 odd years, it's been interesting anyway, why are we here today Kenneth? well David, we're here to chat about the new book that's on the way, in fact, it's out now. It's David Whitaker in an exciting adventure in television, which has been written by that splendid chap, the Doctor Who researcher and writer, Simon Guerrier. And we're going to have a little chat with Simon very soon. But I thought before we learn more about David Whitaker and his life, I thought it'd be quite nice to chat about our favourite Doctor Who things that involve Mr. Whitaker, who is not related to Jodie. He spells his name with one T, of course, and not with two. So of course, he's written a hell of a lot of stories. He was involved with Doctor Who from day one. And of course, his first credited story is The Edge of Destruction. But so many would follow, like the likes of The Rescue, The Crusade, or Doctor Who and the Crusaders, if you even like that. The Power of the Daleks, The Evil of the Daleks, Enemy of the World, The Wheel in Space, Ambassadors of Death. So given that there's quite a good few to choose from, Stevie, which would you say is your favourite of Mr. Whitaker's works. Well, I think the first the first book I was aware of is he adapted the original Daleks, didn't he? And he wrote it in first person uh, as Ian. And I found that both really weird. Took me a wee bit to get into it, but I really enjoyed it. It was uh, an interesting way to do a book of a subject I knew so well because I'd seen the seen the serial. I must say I'd read this in later life, and I. I think I'm right, and he was to do with the 21st, was it the 21st century comics, Dalek stuff as well? I think he wrote some of that. And again, it was in those days where I've already talked about it in previous podcasts, probably in November, where I didn't completely understand that comics were written rather than drawn. I thought the guy who was drawing it, I didn't even think that it was written. <laughs> you know, I just thought somebody's like, oh, I'll, I'll draw a square with a Dalek, and I wonder what I'll make them do next, because that's what I did. Uh, <laughs> well, so, 
that's kind of how I'm aware of him. But also from the beginnings of Doctor Who, and I think I probably read probably it was Doctor Who and the Crusaders rather than the Crusade or whatever target books. So he's always been kind of um, involved in Who. I think I was disappointed not to see was his character amalgamated for an adventure in time and space. Did we not really hear of him um, at all? But it was a wee bit disappointing. John. Yeah, I mean, as, as Stevie was saying, it's it's a shame that someone who was such a, a a pivotal figure in the early history of the of the of, of the show didn't get you know a bit more time. But I guess that's reflective of the the fact that he himself was a bit of an enigma. I really enjoyed the documentary, the Toby Haydock documentary that, that features uh, Simon Gerrard's input a lot. You know, his own story was 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 interesting, but only kind of coming to light now. So. Maybe that's reflective of his own, yeah. The fact he was all obviously a private, private person. Yeah, like like Stevie, novelization of Doctor and the Daleks looms massively in my own, um, my own history with with uh, with Whitaker's writing. I guess beyond that too, as you were saying about the power of the Daleks as such a, a an important story to capture the the Daleks in that way for a a new doctor post regeneration it's yeah a great piece of work so i guess i would if if i weren't allowed to to steal stevie's i would say yeah power of the daleks um is my next favorite mr steel mr smith yeah i'm going to have to echo the other lads and it's the it's the novelization of the first dalek story i remember buying it second hand from a bookstall somewhere down south when I was on holiday with my folks at some point in the 80s and um, reading it well the rest of the holiday played out and then the, the stuff that always sticks in my head is um, is Barnes Common and the the way he adapted the ordeal episode how effective all that was you know a good few years before I saw it in VHS Enemy of the Worlds probably my favourite of I think it was TV stories but although obviously the crusade is an absolute masterpiece it's just, I think it's one of the most adult Doctor Who stories ever. It's it's phenomenal. I would love if they found, you know, the the, the warlords and um, uh, what's episode four, Night of Jaffa, is it? Correct. Yep. It'd be great if they found them. I'd love to see that the whole story. I mean, one thing actually, the the good thing about it is when they came out in VHS, when they found episode one, they released a CD of the soundtrack to the two missing episodes, and it works perfectly without any linking narration. The dialogue covers it. It's it's, it's so good. Yeah, but toss up between the Crusade and Enemy of the World for me, but obviously Power of the Daleks is phenomenal. It's good that they got this guy back who was so involved in the creation of the series at this moment of recreation for the series. You know, it's maybe in a way echoed slightly by, by Russell T. Davis coming back to, to reboot things at the moment, I suppose. Um, yeah, that, that first Dalek novel is so special, though. Everything about it. I agree with everything that you've all said. I mean, what you've just said about the Crusade, Dave, I don't think I can add much more to that, because Way back earlier this year when season two came out in Blu-ray, I stated that's my favourite historical and it's one of my favourite Hartnells, if not indeed my favourite story from the 60s. But poor David Whittaker sort of suffers because he wrote quite a few scripts in the 60s, but only two of his stories are complete in Edge of Destruction, which would be quite hard not to be complete, and Enemy of the World which of course was only really completed a decade ago. Well, obviously it was completed, but you know what I mean, in the archives. Oh, and of course the rescue's complete. So you've got the likes of the Crusade, incomplete power, gone, evil, gone, and it's only really, I don't know, wheel in space, gone, 
and Ambassadors was a complete rewrite from the sounds of things. And Simon will have some interesting facts about that for us later on. Um, but for me, they're, he's a, such a damn good writer. He knows what Doctor Who is. He takes his time. He thinks about things and he makes things work. And I think that's what I particularly enjoy about what he's done. Have you, any of you seen the Dalek 6388 recent video on Cybermen? It's very yeah. good because they look at the science of wheel in space and the numbers that Zoe gives. It's well worth finding on YouTube, completely free to watch, great episodes. And just think David Whitaker's done his research here to a certain degree, obviously asteroids explode or planets exploding or suns exploding. And suddenly that we're not going to be hit by them on earth in like 10 minutes. But that aside, there's some very clever stuff in there. And yeah, I think he's a very underrated figure in the history of Doctor Who. And as you said, John, the documentary about him was fantastic. The fact we get to learn so much more and see so much more about him. Yeah, very moving, very moving. A, a writer who probably wasn't appreciated perhaps as fully as he should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of these things. If, if he hadn't died so young, you know, he obviously him and Ma- Malcolm Hulk died before, you know, organised fandom became a big thing. Um, and if, you know, if they both lived a bit longer, they probably would have had their day in the, the sun and, you know, would have known how important they were considered and you know, they would be maybe a little bit more well-regarded, I think. There we go. Right, let's pop over and have a word with Simon. Hello, I am Simon Guerrier and I am the author of David Whittaker in an exciting adventure with television. First thing first, what a fantastic title. That Was that one oh. that came to you pretty quickly? Yes, yeah, once I knew it was going to be a book, that was the one that... Um, really sort of stood out it was the uh uh realizing that david had the same initials as doctor who um that's something that gets talked about a bit in the book um so yes once i'd started thinking about that and and about what i associated him with which was as much to do with things like the books and comic strips and stuff as well as his work on the tv show yes that that came out of that really fantastic so where did the idea for this first come about because obviously we fans of classic Doctor Who, we know the name David Whitaker, and we know he was the first script editor and the role that he played in helped shaping it. But I mean, as, as was made quite clear in the documentary uh, on the Blu-ray for season two, we didn't really know too much more than that. So, I mean, David Whitaker is a name that I think a lot of Doctor Who fans knew. I can probably place exactly when I first learned that name, which was the 21st of March, 1981 because after the broadcast of the final episode of Logopolis, when when Tom Baker's doctor falls from the radio telescope and turns into Peter Davison, I was four when that went out, and I was so kind of confused as to what was going on and upset by the death of Doctor Who that my older brother ran upstairs and got the Target Doctor Who monster book, which explained about there having been previous doctors. And... The thing that really mesmerised me was the pictures on the back cover of all the different Target books, which included in the top left corner, Doctor Who and the Daleks by David Whittaker. So that's probably when I first saw his name. But it wasn't really until, you know, more than a decade later when Doctor Who magazine 200 sort of did a, a themed issue around David Whittaker, which included a feature on his life and photos from his weddings and this sort of stuff that I had kind of a sense of who he was. But really, nobody had much more information about him than was in that feature. And the same facts would be repeated about him 
such as that he'd written a play for the York Theatre Royal called A Choice of Partners, which in 1957 had been spotted by somebody from the BBC script unit and they had offered him a job at the BBC and things, things of that sort. So he kind of got into writing for television by chance. And then in 2016, I was researching a Black Archive book on the evil of the Daleks, a 1967 story that David wrote. And the, the sort of my pitch for that book was that I was just going to research stuff and see where it took me and kind of go on a fishing trip. And one of the things that I discovered was that story about a choice of partners is not true. He didn't write a play for the York Theatre Royal. A choice of partners were written specifically for television and was part of a, it was the, it was the, the thing that got him through the door, but he'd been sending stuff to television for more than a year. So he didn't get into television by chance. It was a targeted effort where he sent all sorts of things, a variety of, of things until he got through. And that really changed my perspective on who he was. Then the other thing that I discovered on Evil of the Daleks was that there were the, the Victorian part of that story is full of things that I think are lifted from his own life and his family's history. And once I got onto that, I was like, oh, there's a there's a whole kind of area here that hasn't really been looked into. Um, so my original thought was this isn't going to fit the Evil of the Daleks book. Maybe there's something for Doctor Who magazine. Maybe I talked to the then editor of Doctor Who magazine, Tom Spilsby, about it. He was encouraging, so I did a bit more research. And it's kind of snowballed, really. I suppose the thing with research that usually the, the best parts of that can be the first-hand evidence and talking to people who knew him and worked with him. And that must have been quite interesting, trying to track down people who are obviously, as time is passing, there will be fewer and fewer. Yes, so, you know, you want you want good primary sources. So, so there's the paperwork. So one of the first things was to go through all the paperwork relating to David at the Written Archives Centre in Caversham, the BBC's repository of paperwork. So I did that. And there's five files on David there from two particular sources. One is what they call radio contributions from the days when the BBC was mostly radio, though David actually did very little work in radio. But it's it basically it's, it's his copyright folder of earnings outside his day job. So he had a staff salary for stuff done in work hours, but anything he did outside of work hours, he would get extra payment for. So there's a record of that. And then there's his kind of staff file under the script unit. So the script unit changed its name several times during during the time he was there. But basically that's his head of department keeping paperwork on what's going on, which is a bit partial. It has records of some things in great detail and no records of other things. Um, and then kind of once I've got that kind of backbone of his career, then looking for other sources that I could use to add to it. So um, trying to track down records of the theatres he worked in, trying to work, track down records of other bits of television he worked in, trying to track down paperwork relating to his time in Australia in the 1970s. And as you say, on, on top of that, then trying to talk to anybody who had spoken to him or who knew him or who'd worked with him and also tracking down interviews with people who had known him and worked with him. Because as you say, we're on the kind of cusp of living memory. Several of the people I've spoken to 
have died since I spoke to them. The the the, uh, the actor Alan Curtis, who I spoke to in um, uh, uh, 2017, I think, has since died. But he gave me loads, loads of really useful information. And what what that interview really did was it made a, a David a person rather than just a a name in paperwork. And once I had that, I realised I was onto something. It's fascinating. It's having done research of my own. I know how difficult it can be, particularly when it's getting access to older papers and, and indeed older people. And what you've done is is just incredible. Having had a, a good look through it last night, and I'd imagine that it's getting that story working in your head because it's not you know it's the obvious way to do things is chronologically, but also to be able to flesh it out and getting these like fan letters from Gary Hopkins and things like that and be able to get dealings with fans to bring that in. I think that was fascinating. The thing that really kept me going was the more I found out about David Whitaker, the more fascinating I found him. Um, there have been other people I've researched for Doctor Who magazine or for, for other things where you kind of look into it and kind of go, oh, there's not really a story here or... or in, even in the cases of kind of going, oh, I don't actually like this person very much or, or whatever. Whereas with David Whitaker, I just, the more, the, as I say, the more I found out, the more the more I was kind of driven onwards. And I find him fascinating. Partly I find him fascinating and partly he's a fascinating witness for an extraordinary series of shifts in popular culture. So those two things combined I think, I hope, make for a really interesting story. Definitely is. And I think, of course, when I think Doctor Who fans, of course, be particularly interested in his involvement with the show from those early days, which, of course, is particularly relevant at the moment as we're celebrating the 60th anniversary. And there must have been some fantastic facts you uncovered from then that were new. Yeah, I mean, there, there's sort of details, Do Doctor Who related details, like I think I know where the enemy of the world comes from. I think it's based on, I think the spark of the idea for the enemy of the world comes from the first thing that David wrote on staff at the BBC in 1957, which was an adaptation of a novel. And that adaptation involved a lead character playing two roles. And it's largely set in a sort of middle European country, just as the enemy of the world is largely set in Hungary. And I think that's kind of what he's riffing on. And then I discovered that uh, the villain in the enemy of the world is called Salamander. And at the end of that story, Salamander is ejected from the TARDIS just as it's leaving Australia in 2018. And in the mid seventies, David wrote an episode of a TV drama in Australia with a villain called Ramon Salamander. And I think he must surely have done that purposefully and made that connection. So I think he might have written the continuing adventures of the continuing adventures of Salamander with an actor other than Patrick Troughton. So that kind of stuff is fascinating. And then there's the contextual stuff where by tracing a line through David's history at the BBC working in light entertainment and variety shows and song and dance shows and his correspondence with Frank Muir and Dennis Norden about how sitcoms should be organised and, and new sitcoms should be commissioned. He 
brings some of that insight into the Sunday night play that he then gets moved on to in the summer of 1962. And he writes an 11 page paper on how to get an audience hooked to the Sunday night play because they're struggling with audiences. Some plays do very well and some don't. So he has some ideas about structural things that you can do. And within a year, he's on Doctor Who applying those ideas to that first year of Doctor Who. And what he's doing is he's applying structures from light entertainment and sitcom onto this new idea for a show, it's a sci-fi drama show. And I don't think anybody's really made that connection before. But it's it's once you sit once I kind of got that, I can't escape it. I can't I can't, you know, it, it becomes a there's a there's a really good uh, documentary on Peter Newman who wrote uh, The Sensorites called Looking for Peter. And I think once you've seen that documentary, you can't watch The Sensorites in the same light. It, it completely changes what that story is and what it's doing and its kind of resonances. Once I'd got onto this thing about light entertainment and, and David trying to apply that to drama, I see it vividly in the Doctor Who that he was writing and that he oversaw as story editor. And I think it's quite important to the fact that Doctor Who was a success and, and survives and is still going today. And of course, principles that Russell T. Davis is effectively applying as well by getting in some of the guest stars that he does and knowing how to appeal to the general public. Yeah, I think I think that's the kind of... I mean, histories of Doctor Who tend to compare it to other drama and other sci-fi, but actually what doesn't really get talked about is the thing that Sidney Newman was constantly going on about. This is a show that was designed to bridge the gap between Grandstand and Jukebox Jury. And it's it's got a... But it's also got to but you want that to happen to hook people in to watch the BBC's output on a Saturday night which is generally light entertainment song and dance shows variety shows quiz shows and Doctor Who has to fit in that and draw, drag an audience in and kind of understanding that when you get that right Doctor Who tends to be very successful I think and so yeah, it's it's kind of natural places. That's why Doctor Who, when it was brought back in two thousand five, was a competitor for Anton Deck, you know. And it was a, it's you can kind of see trying to balance where it fits in the schedule opposite something like Strictly Come Dancing, all of those kind of things. That's the kind of stuff that David Whittaker was grappling with sixty years ago. That that's still really important to get right. And one of the fascinating things, we got, I suppose, a bit of a, a preview of the book with the season two Blu-ray box set. So that must have been interesting working with the team on that. Yeah, I mean, that was a joy, an absolute joy. So I I was a bit stuck with the book because Doctor Who magazine, by that point, by, by 2019, 2018-19, I'd... Uh, uh, talked to uh, Marcus Hearn at Doctor Who magazine about doing some stuff about David Whittaker and he was kind of like yes but it needs to be Doctor Who related stuff about David Whittaker we can't do a great long feature about his early life because it's just not relevant to our, our readership and things you know you could do a paragraph or, or an introduction about it but but we want the Doctor Who focus so I, I wrote a few things for him 
like what was going on in David's life when he wrote The Ambassadors of Death, uh, what was going on in his writing for the books and the comics with the Daleks and stuff. So, so you know, it was all very supportive and very helpful, but I was kind of like, there's not really uh, an outlet for the other parts of his life. Then lockdown happened in 2020. So uh, I suddenly found myself a bit short of work. So one thing I did was read a lot of the books that I'd been meaning to get to. So various books by heads of department at the BBC, biographies of various actors and stuff, just kind of picking up bits of information about the wider context and stuff. But also archives in the UK and in other countries furloughed their staff during lockdown. And what a lot of archives were doing was sending material, like boxes of old papers and photographs and stuff, to their staff. And while they were on furlough, they were digitising it. And in some cases they were scanning it, in some cases they were creating spreadsheets and uh, documenting what they had, and to keep them kind of busy and stuff. But what that meant was that during 2020 and 2021, loads of archives suddenly had loads more stuff available and it was searchable and readily available. So, you know, a handful of things came out. Getty Images suddenly had two images of David Whittaker at home uh, working on scripts, you know, good quality, never before seen photographs of him just out of nowhere with captions that told you when they were taken and gave you some context and stuff. That's just one example. There were loads of things. Some theatre companies were putting up their programmes from repertory plays that had his name in them. Various companies were putting up details of old television listings, newspaper articles about lost television programmes, all of that kind of stuff. So there's suddenly riches of material. So I started to gather some of that together and again was talking to Doctor Who magazine and was talking to people like Toby Haydoke about that. And from that, Chris Chapman uh, the producer-director on documentaries at the Blu-rays basically said to me, we're thinking about making a documentary about David Whittaker. What have you got? And what could what of it could we see? And is there enough material here? So I basically said, you can have whatever I've got, but if you pay me a bit, I, there are a whole load of areas that I haven't got to yet. Rather than you buying the material I've got. Why don't you pay me as a researcher and I'll go and look into those places. And also there's a list of people I want to interview. Maybe that's what your documentary should do is go and talk to those people. So it was, it was brilliant. It was, it was you know, it, it, a really nice partnership of things. A lot of chat between me and Toby and Chris about where we could look, what we could do. Chris and Toby both had some great ideas about other things that I hadn't really considered other avenues so we made that documentary that gave everything a kind of impetus for me to get on and, and fill out the gaps in what i got but there were also areas that we didn't get to in the documentary about a month after we finished shooting i finally made contact with david's family his surviving nephew and niece that there was no way we could go back and add that in but um David's niece provided me with a box of paperwork that has completely opened out what we've got. So, so the documentary is a really good uh, uh, snapshot of David's life, but I've discovered loads more since we did it. I mean, it's such a moving documentary, you know, considering we start off with knowing 
very little and then you're getting to see like pictures from weddings and things like that and you know how he aged so rapidly as well and it's it's fascinating it's, it's such a good watch i've watched it twice and oh. it's just it's just so moving and just beautifully done and you just you really do get a real insight to him and it's and well his work has brought us so much joy there's not there seemed to me just an awful lot of sadness in david's life yeah i mean uh, it's it's tricky it, any biography of somebody who's no longer around i mean it's just not going to have a happy ending that's that's a kind of historian thing um and whether that's writing about somebody from the victorian period or more recently you kind of have to deal with that so um chris chapman's brilliant idea with the documentary was not to tell it in chronological order because we could be we could end on a more positive note david's life is there are a number of difficulties and frustrations i think it would be fair to say and yeah it 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 is he was extraordinarily hardworking, and i think rather overlooked and rather overlooked by several people he worked with and rather overlooked by Doctor Who fandom in a big way basically because he died in 1980 just as things like Doctor Who magazine and and fandom more generally were interviewing people and piecing together the history of Doctor Who and so although he features in those histories he doesn't have a voice really and we don't really get things from his perspective and I hope this book does something to correct that um that's that's kind of the the aim I had with it it's it was fascinating just the the things you've come up with the fact that potentially he may have kept diaries of his time and working in Doctor Who but sadly no sign of those yeah so uh, one of his diaries survives from his he kept a notebook when he was in New York in April and May 1963 there's a there's a few clues suggesting that he kept diaries. His response his his letter to Gary Hopkins in 1978 says his diaries aren't with him, so he can't consult them. But also when he was running writers' workshops, he encouraged his writers to keep diaries so that they were writing something every day. And and then there's a suggestion, there's a notebook by his first wife detailing basically the breakup of their marriage. And my sense of that notebook is she kept that notebook separately so that she wasn't writing uncomfortable, difficult thoughts in her main diary. So the suggestion, so the irony is it's that one with the secret stuff that survives and the main diaries are the ones that have disappeared. But yes, yeah, so, so it's, it's, there's a whole load of paperwork that would have been very interesting to see. I would have loved to have seen um, the first two episodes of The Eve of the Daleks as originally written featuring Ben and Polly, which he certainly wrote and delivered because he was paid extra money for that work. There are various other bits and pieces, but, you know, they're like missing episodes. You you, you kind of have to work with what you've got and what you can access. That's just that's just the nature of, of history, really. Yeah. And what sort of Doctor Who related content have you found in David's archive? For example, we know that he started work on a novelization of The Enemy of the World. Yes. Yeah, so I found the first page of that. Um, that was a big thing. Doctor Who magazine 200 
had published the synopsis he wrote of how he would do that as a book. So I knew that existed somewhere and finally tracked it down amongst the family papers. Um, so I found the original of that synopsis and with it was a first page uh, of Enemy of the World. Uh, sadly, nothing else. I found his contract for the novelization of The Evil of the Daleks. So there'd been some suggestion that he was contracted for two novels, not one. So that was, you know, that proved that. I think one of the most fascinating things I found was actually um, a document I, I already knew about in the production file held at Caversham for the Ambassadors of Death. There was a letter Terence Dix wrote in, I think, June 1970, after that story had gone out, basically saying, you know, things didn't work out brilliantly in the writing of this, but now it's gone out. I thought you'd like to know. It got very high viewing figures. And I think that's largely because of the, you know, the underlying David Whittakerness of, of what that story was. Um, and I think that's that was an olive branch from um, Terence Dix to, to David Whittaker. But at the same time that he wrote that letter, Terence was engaged in commissioning stories for the 1971 series of Doctor Who. And in the in the same sort of week or fortnight that he wrote that letter to David Whittaker, he commissioned Robert Holmes, Malcolm Hulk, and Don Horton for stories for the 1971 season. So that's all the other writers of the 1970 series. I think if David had replied to that letter or, or had accepted that olive branch, he would have been commissioned by Terence for the following year and would have written a story that would have gone in the Claws of Axos or the Demons slot. So history would have been very different. I also suspect a year later when they um, negotiate the rights to bring back the Daleks to Doctor Who, David would have been the obvious choice to write what became Day of the Daleks because he was the only other person who'd written a Dalek TV story other than Terry Nation to that point. So if he'd responded, he would probably, my guess is, written Doctor Who stories for the next two years. But he didn't respond, or at least the response isn't kept in the file. But amongst the paperwork that I found that David's family have was the original letter from Terence Dix, which David kept. He didn't keep a lot of paperwork relating to Doctor Who, so he kept that because it was special, but he doesn't seem to have responded to it. Also, when he received that letter, he was working in the East Tower at the BBC uh, on a sort of three-month, four-month contract. So he could have popped over and had a word. He could have said something, but he didn't. And this is a period of life where David is struggling for work. And he talks about that in his other correspondence and stuff. So... Yeah, he was short of work and Terence Dix was reaching out to him, but he didn't accept it. And I think because he'd been burnt, he'd been burnt too much by Doctor Who and stuff. So so that is massively suggestive of, of his state of mind and, and what the treatment that he received over the wheel in space and the ambassador's death did to him and, and all of that, all in that single piece of paper. As I say, that that's the kind of thing I found really fascinating. Yeah, and something that, Oh, you mentioned earlier you weren't like to ending the documentary on a happy note. I think just uh, something that I, I thought was fantastic, and let's let's finish our chat on a happier note. 
It's the fact that the Whitaker name lived on in Doctor Who, the fact that his nephews worked on Doctor Who magazine comic strips. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, uh, Steve uh, Whitaker, his, his uh, eldest nephew, he's on the cover of uh, V Vendetta. You know, he's quite big in the comics world. Um, Steve sadly died in 2009, so I couldn't interview him, but I did speak to quite a few people who knew him, including Neil Gaiman, um, Neil Gaiman, who wrote an introduction to David Whittaker's uh, Daleks novelization a few years ago, had no idea that his friend Steve Whittaker was David Whittaker's nephew. Other people in the comics world did, and were able to give me some insights into that. I spoke to uh, Steve's brother, Richard, who'd also worked on Doctor Who magazine. So Steve and Richard both worked on Doctor Who magazine. They both worked for Marvel in the early uh, the mid-1990s. So I think Steve Whittaker worked on... The Age of Chaos, the comic strip done by, written by Colin Baker, uh, and he worked on covers for Doctor Who classic comics, I think. And Richard worked on a number of Sylvester McCoy comic strips published in Doctor Who magazine. So yeah, there's that connection. But I think more widely in terms of a legacy is I think I can see all the connections between what David was doing and, and where fandom is now. And, and, and I, I really feel that stuff that I do now as a job kind of follows in the wake of what David was Whitaker, David Whitaker was doing. And so that kind of, that kind of legacy, I see, you know, I, I um, made the point at Gallifrey, the big convention in LA, that as you, you know, that, that was a huge convention of 3000 enthusiastic fans many of them dressed up, many of them engaged in talking about the history of the show and what it means and, you know, representations of this and that and, and all of this kind of really enthusiastic engagement in, in not just the TV show, but books and comics and costuming and all of this kind of the rich, vibrant activity. I think that is what David... I, I genuinely think that's what David brought to Doctor Who. He made this show something that you engage in rather than just something you watch so yeah yeah you know definitely the the, the positive side with his nephews and things but i think i think we're all part of that legacy fantastic simon thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us and of course everybody should go out and buy this book now in fact buy two copies it's that good yes just just to be safe just to be safe yeah. thank you very much kenny so there we go Thank you very much, Simon. And fantastic book. I have read it and I can definitely recommend it. There is so much in it that you'll be amazed. Just the forensic detail to which Simon has gone through and of course is joining up the dots and things, which absolutely makes sense. Particularly, would he have come back for season eight? Which is a shame that he didn't. And instead we got the demons, but not that that's a shame, but you know what I mean. The demons written by David Whitaker would have been very interesting. Um, yeah, who's who's the book through it? Is it Ten Acre Films? It is indeed, and you can yeah. find it on their website and uh, order copies now because it's such a damn good book with limited edition cover and the style of Doctor and an exciting adventure with the Daleks. My goodness, I nearly ran out of breath saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. done, Kenny. Well done for staying conscious. Just about, just about. So there we go. But no, thank you very much, gents. Just a lovely quick chat about Mr. Whitaker. Right, gents, thank you very much. And I've actually got a tune all lined up. It's sitting here on my turntable, ready to play. And it's an appropriate of one. You have. Of course you have. 
So, what are you going to play us out with, Kenny? Well, I thought it'd be inappropriate that given the amount of stuff that Mr. Whitaker produced in his typewriter, you could almost effectively see he was Mr. Writer. You're not playing that song with the stereophonics, are you? The stereophonics, I think you'll find it's pronounced. Well, that, you tell me no, who you want instead. That's one of the worst songs ever committed to tape. That's shocking. Okay, right, I'm away. Bye, everyone. I'll see you next time. <laughs> what we have yeah, instead, then? We don't want to offend Dave. We want Dave to come back. No, that song is sh- You cannot um, insult David Whittaker by playing that. Is there not a song with the word David in the title? I was going to go. Oh, how a about? Song by someone called Dave. How about something by Roger Whittaker? How about something by Roger Whittaker? Ah, that right. Feel? Yeah, let's go for Roger, his, or his brother. the common man. You can't insult him by Barnes by Common. Iconic song because it's got. <laughs> right, let's not fall out. <laughs> no, I'm not, not going to fall out. I'm just, I'm just being. I'm remembering when I had to work in HMV when that album was out. We had to hear it six times a day. It's awesome, shocking. That, that's my new anti-stereophonics podcast that I'm starting. Excellent. <laughs> okay, in that case, let's go over to David's brother, Roger, for something. Everybody talks about a new world in the morning. I should say I've done a quick Google and we have we have apparently a David Whitaker rapper. <laughs> um, David Whitaker at Love Mad Music. Interesting, Stevie. You're suggesting David Whitaker, the rapper, who I've suddenly just Googled and have to hand instantly in seconds. You'd almost think there'd been like a quick recording break there, but there definitely wasn't. So he's a rapper and vocalist, and he's the MC for Chemical Reaction, comma, Good Evening, comma, Beat Jackers and Mad Trash. And he's also known for his work with Hideyoyoki Sawano, and is 10 days younger than me in five years. So there we go. But, of course um, he Google has a lot to answer for. It certainly does. <laughs> But yes, having had a quick look through his discography, let's have a quick vote. Which track do we want to hear? Do we want to hear You Never Know, Before My Body Is Dry, Kill, <laughs> Kill, Rearrange, Talking All Days, and Best of Vocal Works? I think I know which one we're going to go for, don't you? Uh, well, pro- I would oh, say the first one. Right. That's the first one. Yeah. But you yeah. being a, a dirty smut lord, Kenny, you probably want to use the one before my body is dry, don't you? I want to. I'm I'm with Kenny on this one. I want to. I want to hear where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> it, could take us, it could take us to a whole new dimension, but whatever it is, it's going to be better than the stereophonics. That's very true. I have never heard somebody dislike the stereophonics so much. So I'm delighted to hear that uh, you've suggested something far better, Stevie. And Dave, you've <laughs> steered us away from that area. And I encourage everyone to go and listen to David Whitaker, the rapper, because I'm sure he's great, as we're all about to find out. In fact, I think we should now, from every episode, play out with a track from David Whitaker, the rapper, <laughs> not a biscuit rapper. But <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that his full name? Yeah, if you listeners, if you look out next month's issue of Power of Three magazine, we'll have a, a, pull out, a pull out colour poster 
of David Whittaker, the rapper, to um, to stick in your bedroom wall. So watch out for that. Well, I I think it's interesting to do a bit more googling. So it, there seems to be a, a, an original soundtrack album called Kill La Kill. So there you go. I'm not suggesting we play that, but there's your extermination link. Mm. Oh, that would work. Yeah. Except, this is... except, please, Kenny. Please listen to this before you broadcast this, just in case we are inciting riot or... Being, or being yeah. a rap gentleman, he may be encouraging sort of people to be violent, or indeed he may use foul language that's not suitable for this family <laughs> podcast. Yes. Mm. Do you know, mm. we've spent more time discussing David Whittaker, the rapper, and almost as much time as we have David Whittaker, the writer, which... Uh, that's how it should be. Yes. That's... Yeah, because that's because this is the podcast that has no rules, you know. Exactly. The portfolio. We push the envelope and we rip. We rip that envelope up and we throw it in the bin. Okay. Do you want me to rip it up even more? Yeah. Okay. So we have David Whitaker. This is a Wikipedia video game games composer. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. So he did his disc discography, License to Kill on the Atari ST, Commodore sixty four, Amiga, Amstrad, CPC, ZX Spectrum one two eight. Uh, Alfred's Chicken, <laughs> Arcade Flight Simulator, ATV Simulator, Aussie Games, Back to the Future Part 2. You should look him up. We could find lots of David Whittakers, I'm sure. Yeah. Let's let's start uh, an Are You Dave Gorman style podcast about Dave Whittaker. <laughs> yes, right. Challenge extended then, Kenny. Try and find a track by David Whittaker, the computer game composer. John, you look as if you're loving this. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm on the Hiroyuki Sawano wiki at the moment um, right. and uh, I don't know if it's the same guy vocal songs, anime works game works it, I think it could be the same guy it could be, uh, I've, I've just sent the link through for the Wikipedia there interesting right. okay. well listeners obviously you'll be able to watch on YouTube channel our video because we'll be dropping in a bit of David Whitaker the rapper and yeah. I'm really looking forward to finding out uh, more about his work. So I think that, um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, let's be honest, we're going to have to feature him every week. In fact, let's get an interview with him. We couldn't get David Whitaker, the writer. So let's get an interview with David Whitaker, the rapper, talking about before my body is dry. And, and explain to him that the reason we're asking is because we cannot, obviously, for obvious reasons, speak to the real David Whitaker. Well, yes. they're all the real David Whitaker, but David oh, Whitaker, the writer. They all are, but. Um... <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> right, let's go and find out what my body is dry sounds like. Listeners, Exhausting. remember, if you enjoy, send us a video, tell us your thoughts, and we'll include them in our next episode. And if and you don't listener, enjoy... I was going to say, listener, if you don't enjoy, please, please be kind to us. <laughs> yes, yes, please. Listener, send in a photograph of, of yourself listening to David Whittaker, and we'll print it in the letters page of... Of Power 3 magazine. <laughs> yeah. And so if you've enjoyed this episode, you've been listening to the Power of 3 podcast. If you haven't enjoyed it, you've been listening to the official BBC podcast, and my name's Crystal D. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, I've been Crystal D or Kenny Smith, depending on how you've enjoyed it. And we'll see you very soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.
so it seems there's no other choice but to go all out Stay with me and let's stand out And outshine those trying to get our stars now All we have to do is figure out how strong we are And what it takes to stay alive Sink and learn what we can do to take them down It's revenge and survive for now We know in part and You can feel my heart so Help me to stay focused so I don't fall apart I wanna be complete It's not in me to retreat I could lose on my own so I really need you with me